When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Waiting just in case we're already recording. Hey, it looks like we are live on Socks Populi. We are doing a draft night special. In case you thought that 545 Central meant for it, 545 Central. That was silly. What are you talking about? Uh, but we're here right about at draft day draft time start uh here with maliki hayes our i'm going to just call him our resident expert uh you'll be hearing a lot from him during our uh live broadcast and of course tommy barbie i'm sure he is drafting right behind uh maliki in terms of his knowledge overall uh before we have a little bit of pre i guess white Sox pick you know chatter or anticipation whatever just right off realistically in terms of of who the white Sox might be able to have fall to them uh either one of you have a, a guy in mind that you'd really you know would you know like a christmas morning type of thing that uh, falls to the white Sox, a guy they shouldn't get that they may end up still getting yeah, you know, Chase Dollander is a guy, the uh, right-handed pitcher from Tennessee who's been connected to the Sox um, a lot lately. Uh, he, you know, he came into this college season pretty much ranked as the number one, the number one pitching prospect in the country. He had kind of an up and down year for, for Tennessee. And of course, Paul, Paul Skeens then went and, and stole all of, all of his thunder. Uh, the other thing with him is that he has what some might call suboptimal fastball shape. Um, we can, I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later as we, as we get into guys like, like Skeens and Rhett Louder, for example. Uh, but again, it, just a classic guy who came into the year looking like he was probably going to be a top two or three pick. Uh, if he winds up there at 15, you know, he's a college arm. The White Sox love college arms. Uh, you know, we, assuming they're still in some kind of, they consider, consider themselves to be in some kind of contention window, you know, uh, that's a guy that would probably slot really nicely into this, a system that just doesn't have any arms right now that are like, you know, over 20 years old <laughs> and above double A. So, so that's kind of my guy right there. Yeah. My role here, uh, guys, is to just try and insert a joke. I'm going to use the one that I have that I've already even used. And that is, you know, there's a family connection. We have Hunter Dallander on, on, in, in, the, in the system. So, you know, who knows? Uh, it'd be cool to have. I guess it'd be cool to have a couple of Dallanders. Uh, Tommy, is there a guy that's not named Dallander that um, you're sort of thinking would be a really great kid for the White Sox at one? I, I'm really, I'm not picky at all. Um, it's, <laughs> I mean, as, as Maliki said, he has zero pitching. So, I mean, as long as there is a um, an arm available with good upside, I will be happy. Um, Dollander would be huge, but I just, I, I'm not going to hold my breath for a particular name. I'm just, I'm really, really hoping that the White Sox actually look at ceiling instead of drafting their typical high floor type of guy. Yeah, the White Sox uh, have one draft under Mike Shirley. Uh, it seems to be um, in the early going, I guess, very early returns, perhaps a little bit different. And I, I dare I say maybe a little bit more successful than we're used to seeing from White Sox drafts. But it was very pitching heavy. Uh, do you guys get the sense that they're going to still go arm heavy, given the fact that they are almost literally, let, let me check my notes. Yes, zero starters in the entire system. Uh, do you think we're going to just have another arm heavy, or do you think now they're going to like um, counteract and, and, and go go bat heavy? 
I I think they'll focus on arms, but I think it'll end up going down to best available too. Um, I think, especially for the first round, I would expect them to get whatever the best arm is that's available to them. Looking into some of the later rounds going into tomorrow and Tuesday, I, I think they'll mix in some um, hopefully more athletic uh, guys that might even be high school bats. That would be a nice change of pace. Um, but I think that they won't be as focused on pitching as they were last year. That that to me just felt like a little too extreme to their norm. Yeah, and especially given the nature, I I, I would like that to happen. Given the nature of this year's draft, which you know most of the experts are saying is probably the deepest we've seen in a decade, and the you know deepest we're going to see for a while. Uh, we know the Sox are always financially conscious when it comes to making their picks. They don't make over slot picks early in the draft. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see you know given given how deep everything is and how many good high school players and even college players are potentially going to be available later in the first round in those comp picks in in the second round. It wouldn't be super surprising to see them go with a relatively safe shocker, relatively safe college bat or arm. Uh, the bat they've been connected to thus far is uh, Yohandi Morales, the third baseman for uh, for Miami, and then you know try to get them to a slot or slightly under slot deal, and then maybe jump on some of those uh, you know those high upside prep hitter um, prep hit players later on. It's stra- it's a strategy they tried a few years ago. I want to say it was 2020 when they took um, Garrett Crochet at 11, who didn't have a lot of college experience, you know, and that was 2020, his season. He only had like three starts or something like that. He had come out of the bullpen the year before and then took that money uh, that they saved there and ended up giving a big overslot bonus to Jared Kelly uh, and then also convincing Matt Thompson and uh, Andrew Dahlquist to, to that might have been the year before, I don't remember, to yeah. forego uh, forego college and get into their system. So that's they, they have a little bit of a history there in, in recent years. It hasn't worked very well course but uh that probably has something that probably has something a little more to do with the the you know their their lack of player development than than anything else it's um you know a strategy that can work really well if you have good player development you know the the it kind of originated with uh you know the cba that was signed about 10 years ago the 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 prime you know example that really kicked it off was back in 2012 when you saw houston uh take carlos correa number one when byron buxton was kind of universally considered the number one prospect and then they then uh, turned around and used those savings to convince Lance McCullers Jr. to not mm-hmm. go to college and uh, get into their system. And, you know, that works really well for teams like the Astros and the Dodgers and um, those guys. Maybe not so much for the Sox, but that being said, I don't think it's a bad strategy, but you have to hit on those later picks. And, you know, they have not, don't have a great history of doing that. So shout out 2020, okay. the five pick draft, uh, the, our Sports Unreal. Illustrated days where we did. Uh, we did a video for every uh, pick because uh, we had five picks. What else were we going to talk about? Yes, the the double first round pick where they where the White Sox sh- shocking me, probably shocking everybody, like did like a bold bold money move and somehow convinced Jared Kelly, hey, not only don't go to school, but you know if you're fun, no, everybody's scared of you, nobody thinks you're going to not go to Texas. So uh, you know, here's a bag of money. Here's some money. Uh, yeah. Come and join us. And only now are we beginning to see, you know, if we talk a little bit about the guys, we're beginning to see some real results from Kelly, having just sort of fooled him into being a reliever briefly. Uh, and now it seems like he's able to put together, string together four or five uh, innings in a row, uh, the way we hoped he'd be able to do maybe, maybe right out of things. And, um, 
if we talk about, uh, you know, this obviously just starting yesterday, uh, Noah Schultz, a guy that got a slow start to the season, but has been, I mean, we're talking about a Nore Vera type of situation here where he had 18 scorelers or whatever in the DSL, so we can't go too crazy about it yet. But Noah Schultz early results is about as good as you could possibly hope for. And that was a, a I don't know if you call it a risky pick, a pretty risky pick by the White Sox, given the fact that his status was lower. White Sox, you know, went hard after him, you know, as part of a, you know, sort of whatever money strategy, make sure you wrap up your first round guy. Uh, but he's turning out at least at this very early point to be everything, you know, advertised and, and maybe a little more. Yeah, it's uh, been it's been about thirteen innings, but the results are really are really <laughs> promising so so far. And I mean, that's also a situation where he's you know he's from the western suburbs. That's the kind of thing where the Sox might have had a little bit of a drop on him mm-hmm. uh, in a way that other other teams didn't. And that does seem like I mean, but again, is that a coincidence? Is that just because he's in the area? I I, I don't know. So it's you know they're they're not they're not as predictable as they were in in recent years or as they were kind of in the height of the. Um, the Kenny Williams draft era when you would see, I mean, what was it back to back, you know, Royce ring and uh, Lance Broadway, Aaron Parada, uh, just a different college pitcher every, every single year. They, they're, they're a little more unpredictable, but this is the kind of draft where with the talent levels that's available, it's, it's hard to not go best player available. So yeah. we'll see who that is. And uh, yeah, looks like we're, we're just about getting going with the actual picks going on. Yeah, this is the big LSU debate, right? Of uh, where Skeens or, or his teammate, you know, are going to like go one or two. Is there any feeling mm-hmm. about how it's going to be pitcher versus hitter? Yeah, well, the latest buzz right now with Pittsburgh is that neither of them are going to be going uh, going going number one there because of uh, because of slot concerns. You know, the MLB draft is interesting that way, where I believe both both Skeens and Dylan Cruz are represented by a certain agent who uh, has a certain reputation for driving a hard bargain. Uh, the reports are also that Dylan Cruz is asking for at least ten million dollars, which is you know would be a record bonus, um, two million above slot. And uh, if the Pirates don't want to give him that, you know, it kind of hamstrings the rest of their draft too. So a lot of the buzz right now is that they're going to be uh, looking at someone like Max Clark, a high school outfielder uh, from Indiana, who they could probably get it significantly under slot, and then uh, again do the Astros thing where you take a guy, you know, that that thirty thirtieth or fortieth pick. Uh, alternatively. There is Wyatt Langford, who is generally, you know, uh, ranked a little bit below Cruz, but not far below Cruz. You know, like it's there's little enough difference that in, in any other year when it's not a, a crazy, crazy deep draft class, he's probably in the conversation for for number one overall. So um, that's where a lot of the buzz is going. And uh, I guess I guess we're about to see Rob Manfred is is talking. Sounds like there's some booze going on. But uh, yeah, so he's, yeah, the, talking. he's talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the pirates are on the clock. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Now, if yeah, it comes I, down, if uh, if it comes down, guys, to uh, okay, whether it's two, three, or one, two, again, do you think teams are going to skew more this um, sort of generational uh, pitcher, or you, or you still go with the bat, which tends to provide you know safer, greater value? I think there's a lot of questions right now over how that kind of um, you know. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten area is going to go because that's really when you start to see some of the um, you know beyond the issues with the number one pick. But that's really when you start to see the the slot differences come into effect because sometimes you get guys dropping who uh, for the purpose of you know um, their demands are too high for some of the teams to be comfortable. And 
at that point, you have kind of a decision to make. Do you take this guy who we think has a high floor is probably pretty safe? There's a reason he's ranked. You know, he's going to go, you know, maybe 8, 10, 12 instead of 1, 2 overall. Or do right. we take that chance? Or you end up with a situation, on the other hand, where, uh, you know, I think it was 2013 or so when Mark Appel was the consensus number one prospect for about two years running. Um falls down to number eight for basically these exact same reasons where, you know, Houston drafting first overall wasn't going to give him that money. And Pittsburgh says, okay, you know, this wasn't our guy. We didn't think he was going to be there. We're going to take him ends up not signing. You know, you get a compensation pick next year. If you don't sign your first rounder, you know, if you're, if you're number eight and you don't sign your guy, you get number nine overall the next year, but next year's draft class is a whole lot weaker than this one. It's not worth nearly as much. So there's some, there's some interesting factors at play there. And I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of mystery as to how, how things, how things develop after those first, um, those first six or seven picks or so where you have a couple high school guys, Max Clark and, um, you know, Walker Jenkins who are kind of considered a tier above some of the other high school bats available. And after that, there's a lot of talented players and, you know, some of the mocks that are going around, you can see guys getting drafted as high as 10 or as low as 30. Uh, right. And it's kind of a, there's, there's an interesting cascade effect that happens there. So, And I think there's such a mix, too, of high school and college guys that even in terms of figuring out, like, who, what makes sense in terms of slot, because, you know, you have to talk about the financials of it with this draft more than any other draft. So that makes a huge difference when you start getting to those middle picks where it really is going to depend on what other teams have already kind of figured out in terms of what they're willing to give up and who's willing to sign for that amount and everything else will kind of fall into place based on that. Yeah. It, personally, I mean, given that, you know, it is based on need, I guess, you know, I, I to, to whatever degree, you know, Tommy is your, is your vibe along with sort of the consensus where a, where a hitter and a, and a solid good bet bat is, is just a, um, you know, safer play, especially for these teams picking high, you know, they're obviously they're they need help. We know that because we've been up there lately, Um, you know, or, or, I mean, do you have to jump on a, you know, on a generational arm? I mean, I think this year it, it isn't as much of a difference as there is in, in other years. Like there's some really talented pitchers and hitters in this draft class where I, I think you can make a legitimate case either way. It really comes down to, where the need is for that particular team and kind of what that risk looks like um, in terms of long-term potential and long-term growth. Because usually you would say like, okay, the college pick is a safe pick, but we're talking about like some generational talent at the top mm-hmm. of, the, of this draft class that we haven't seen in quite a while. So I think there is a level of, um, you know, less risk and more in terms of, looking at the development timeline and what that looks like because you're talking about more complete players going into this draft than we've had in the past all right pittsburgh got 30 seconds and uh malik has already pointed out that it's it's a real toss-up with these guys they do have the 42nd pick and you know and with the socks in particular it's interesting because they do you know we're in this window quote unquote um Rickon's seat is as hot as it's ever been. And they do have a history of drafting for speed to the majors. Um, they do. You know, it's hard not, it's <laughs> yes, hard not to believe. It's hard not to believe that the idea that Garrett Crochet could come right out of the bullpen at the end of 2020 was, you know, the reason they took him there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you could argue that, you know, Nick Magical might've been, might, might've probably been one of the better players available in that slot, but he was close to major league ready. Of course, Andrew yeah. Vaughn, Andrew Vaughn needed all of, 
you know, 40 games in, right. in, in the minors before, uh, before getting there. But he could finally play left field. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So let's see who we got here. Come on, Manfred. For a guy who really like does not like baseball, he likes he, he likes to hear himself talk. <laughs> Why are we talking about Ken Griffey Jr., man? I get it, but like <laughs> I think when he doesn't hear booze, he says, All right, I better just try to stretch this for a rare yeah. time that I'm not gonna get drowned out by booze. Okay. Hello to the live stream. Thank you for joining us. Those of you who are joining us watching, I guess you're watching along with us and seeing who indeed is going to. I, of course, we got Rob just wants to draft off some cheers. So, of course, he's going to get Ken Gary Jr. out. To announce the Pirates, which doesn't even make sense, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what the, what the, There's what no the connection here is. Paul Skeens. All right. Wow. All right. All right. Skeens it is. So then it's a no, is it a no brainer now then that it is going to be teammates one, two, or because does Washington have some of the same concerns as, as Pittsburgh? It would seem like at least a little less. Yeah, Washington does is not a team that's typically concerned too much about about slot bonuses. The mm-hmm. word is that, that 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 most of the mocks were, um, you know, were that they were infatuated with Skeens at number two. I, th- I mean, it's interesting because you know the idea is that you know, Skeens is could probably pitch in a big league rotation right now, and the Pirates are in a place where you know the NL Central is not very good. Uh, there has been some been some buzz about that, but this is interesting because most of the late mocks did not have him here. So um, I, I think it's going to be fun if we see him in the majors later this year. But yeah, where, where things fall from here, I think, I think Cruz is probably a no-brainer at number two. Yeah. Gosh, he was so dominant. I mean, you look at some of those numbers. I, I can't – let me find the list right here. But the number of college pitchers who have ever struck out 200 guys in a season – is very very low. People are calling him the you know the best prospect, the best pitching prospect since um since Strasburg pretty much. The concerns with him are that uh, his fastball shape is not ideal, which is to say that when you're looking at a fastball these days with all of the um you know all of the data information and information that we have, there's two types of things you really want. You want a fastball, generally speaking. You know, there's a lot of you want to be an outlier, but Broadly speaking, you like either a vertical fastball that's going to spin very upright and get a lot of rise, or you want a kind of sinker that's going to move like a bowling ball and have outlier movement either downward or to the side. Skeens has neither of those things. He's in the blob, as you might say, where it doesn't. It has an okay amount of rise. It has an okay amount of run. Uh, it still plays up really well because he you know throws 102 miles an hour and has really nice command of it. Um, but there are some concerns that he might not actually be the kind of ace in the major leagues that we're, you know, that we are, we might expect from him based on his college performance, just because his fastball might not perform quite as well in the strike zone, you know, as it does against college hitters. MLB hitters are, are the best in the world. And 
you know, velocity and, and command aren't everything. If you're, if you're a hitter that can, that can time that up, you're, and you're not getting that movement that's going to make you swing under it or pound it straight into the ground, then you might give up more homers than, uh, than, than you like, you know, it's a little bit. So, so we'll see, we'll see. It's an interesting, you know, he's the best guy available. Um, I'm sure Pittsburgh won't regret it, but, uh, but how much that translates to the big leagues is, is going to be interesting to see for sure. Not to punch yeah. right back to you, Maliki, but I, just a quick follow-up. Do smart teams – I mean, I know every pitcher's different. Um, you know, you've pitched. Um, there's the story, you know, of course, that we have with Carson Fulmer about how the White Sox tried to change everything and it ruined him and broke him and all that. I mean, is a smart team just going to take a guy this good and say, okay – you, I mean, obviously you're gonna you're gonna offer something, but you, you're not out. You don't pick this guy at this level, or pick a guy top ten, or maybe even first round with the idea of immediately changing him, right? I mean, the White Sox were a little odd in what they did, zagging instead of zigging. Am I right there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's an interesting conversation there. I mean, personally, I don't think Carson Fulmer was going to amount to much of anything. In any case, but I think with a guy like Skeens, you're right. I mean, fastball shape is something that you can work with and change, but it's also a function a lot of the times of arm slot and natural release, which is, you know, with a guy like him who's so good at everything else, it's just not something you want to mess with. So I think, you know, this is pretty much, this is a finished product more or less, and that's why you're taking him number one. There's no projectability here. He said he could step into a big league rotation tomorrow and be probably a number three, number four pitcher. So, um I think that's the kind of thing, yeah, where if it does become a problem, maybe you look to make some adjustments. You know, the, the Pirates are not a team, as far as I know, that's some, you know, super well-known for, you know, molding pitchers like Clay and really having a type of arsenal that they, they like to work with. So I, I imagine this is someone they're just going to let ride, um, you know, maybe give them a couple a couple starts in the minors. And, and, you know, if you have problems, you make adjustments. But it's good enough right now that I think you got to wait and see before you even make any changes. You, you, you let this ride until there are problems. Yeah. Tommy, as we're waiting on the second pick, um, or either one of you guys, uh, is the thought that White Sox have had a tendency to take, you know, types, um, mm-hmm. guys that might have, less dimension, uh, not necessarily the Ken Williams athletes. I guess Robert, Rob Manford is going to, he, he's going to uh, surf the booze and who do we got to? Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, one of the, uh, Oh, here we go. Wow. One, two. That's, that's something. That's pretty cool. I mean, he is probably the best hitting prospect we've seen in quite some time. I mean, his sure. his average his average exit velocity was above ninety five miles an hour. Um, he can play center field. He's a five tool guy. The only concerns with him, from what I understand, is that uh, he has trouble elevating the ball. Sometimes it's a little bit of a potentially Vlad Guerrero Jr. even Eloy Jimenez hitting profile where. You have trouble getting to all of that raw power just because you yeah. you hit the ball on the ground too much. But um, you know the risk of that is probably uh, the, the the risk that that's actually going to hold back his entire profile is is low enough that yeah again it's a problem you fix when you get there. Uh, the Nationals have a pretty good history with outfielders, as we know. <laughs> um, yeah. This is probably as safe a pick as you can get. Um, they're, like I said, not a team that typically minds ponying up for the big dollars. They gave Steven Strasburg his money. They gave Bryce Harper his money. You know, uh, Mike Rizzo is, I believe, actually the only GM in baseball um, 
longer tenured than uh, Rick Hahn other than Brian Cashman. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's the same philosophy there. Uh, this is a guy who you don't mess around. You're getting a generational talent. Give him what he wants. Get him to the big leagues in a couple of years when the Nationals are ready to compete. It's kind of hard to go hard to go wrong with this pick. So, one would assume that we're going to see Wyatt Langford go go number three to Detroit here. But um, you know, we've been surprised before. Last year, Kamar Rocker was nobody was on nobody's radar uh, yeah. with Texas with Texas picking it uh, around number three wherever they were. So you know, it wasn't as deep of a draft, but. Um, it's never, never too late to be surprised. That's for sure. When Detroit, um, Tommy, when Detroit isn't overpaying uh, Javier uh, Baez to come play for them or whatever it is called that he does, um, <laughs> antics, doing antics for them. Leadership. I mean, how do you assess yeah. the fact? I mean, this is a team that's been like uh, on the rise now for it seems like a couple of years. And it does seem like they're um, treading water. I mean, they've had some tasty picks. It, it seems like they're maybe not – coming through with, with, with all that their um, White Sox, right? Because uh, their rebuild has been perpetual. So uh, they're not doing a terribly good job stocking, despite the fact they do have some, some real talent, even at the major league level now. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think the injuries where they've hit for a lot of their prospects has really delayed their rise at least one to two years um, in terms of development. But, you know, even the guys that are up there, you know, looking at Torkelson, like haven't hit that level that everybody was kind of ready for um, or expecting. Um, so I think that's, that's a huge part of it. But Detroit to me is in a really good spot because they have um, an opportunity to really use some of these high draft picks now to help round out the core that they already have. And, you know, so, I mean, I'm assuming it's Wyatt Langford too. Uh, if that's the case, like that's a huge talent to have in your outfield for, for the Tigers. So, I mean, I think that there's a lot of opportunities there for them to really shore up their, not only their immediate short-term, but also longer-term needs too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, go ahead, Brett. Sorry. No, 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 please, please drop some knowledge. Yeah, I think the Tigers kind of find themselves almost in a similar position as the White Sox, where they're they're not what you would consider a quote unquote smart team, uh, and that they've kind of fallen behind the times a little bit. And there was, in terms of uh, you know, um, kind of modern scouting uh, and player evaluation um, practices, and also similar to the White Sox, you know, uh, and Mike Illich died about you know a little bit less than ten years ago, and his son took over. And as is always the case, the child, uh, the nepo baby, is always a lot stingier than the dad. So uh, there's a point where they stopped, you know, giving out contracts to guys like Prince Fielder, Victor Martinez. Um, you know, they they were paying those guys, and now they're not anymore. And at the same time, they're not particularly great at developing players either. Like the White Sox, they have a lot of they bring in a lot of guys who have a very high baseline level of talent uh, and like the Sox have difficulty making, you know, capitalizing on him. You know, Matt Manning pitched great the other day, but he has not been as a major leaguer, kind of what was, uh, what was touted of him as a prospect, you know, Casey Mize looks like a number three starter before Tommy John surgery, which is not necessarily what you want to see, mm-hmm. you know, out of a clear cut number one pick, um, you know, Tarek Skubal is good, but he, you know, also might be a number four starter, can't find the zone, can't stay healthy, hasn't really shown that level of development. I mean, Spencer Torkelson has looked worse than Andrew Vaughn yeah. at this yeah. point. That Javi Baez contract does not look good. I think Langford is probably 
in that category, similar to Cruz, where he's good enough that it's hard to mess him up. You can probably get him in the major leagues in a year or two. Oh, wow. He'll, he'll be a solid, solid hitter, but Oh, okay. I think you guys are a second ahead of me. So yeah, Tommy's, I'm Tommy's got the fast call. Breaking news from Tommy Barbie. <laughs> Max Clark. So we're wow, Max Clark. It is her surprise of the night. So then, what becomes interesting to see is where does Detroit go with their second pick in the second draft? Pick. Now? Yeah, uh, I don't know where that is offhand. Let me find out. Um, probably somewhere in the comp round, I would imagine. But uh, let's see. Yeah, they've got the third. <laughs> I, I just had an autoplay. No, auto he's play. taking a trip. <laughs> he is taking a trip. Um, I had some autoplay in my ear, and it did not go well. But yeah, that's that's. So one would imagine now. Um, Langford goes for, you know, the Texas Rangers are in win now mode. Clearly they're a team that, uh, you know, could use some outfield help. They have a loaded infield, but they've got, um, you know, Adolis Garcia in the outfield, but they're still starting Robbie Grossman pretty regularly. Uh, that's, that's a dream scenario for, for the Rangers right there. So I would imagine, you know, I said no brainer for, uh, uh, for Langford right there. It's even, even more of a no brainer for, for the Rangers. That's for sure. Yeah, and, and skipping back a minute um, or five minutes, uh, you can drop the quote unquote smart teams because I think I don't I can't speak for Detroit. We can speak for Chicago, not smart. Uh, but um, to shout out to to Good Vibes, uh, Jackie, thanks for joining us and playing off of her question was something I was going to get to before I think the very first pick interrupted me. And are the White Sox limited, especially when they deal with some of these higher picks, where teams are drafting right now? Um, with what they can pick because of the restrictions they have in their development. Of course, Rick Hahn will jut his chest out and say, oh, we develop players. Look how many guys we got at the major level, et cetera, et cetera. But these are still all guys that are pretty much doing what, you know, the one, maybe the one or two things, you know, it was sort of guaranteed they could do. There's not a lot of surprises in that, that usually broad development we see from the White Sox, maybe even on the pitching side as well. So that limits them to some degree, even at the, the upper echelon picks for what they can do for, for who they can pick uh, because, you know, you sort of got to get a guy that you know what he can, an Andrew Vaughn, a hitter, mm-hmm. uh, Nick Madrigal, a grinder. Um, you're sort of limited to that when you, when you know in the back of your mind, if you're not going to admit it public, you know in the back of your mind, you're not necessarily going to be able to get a, a broader product out of a guy who might be a, maybe a raw talent. Yeah, I think there is some of that that happens um, because – even when the White Sox have drafted types like, you know, Kenny Williams wanting to draft athletes or, you know, even like five, 10 years ago when they would focus on high on base percentage guys that didn't necessarily have raw power, but they at least, you know, profiled with, you know, gap power and on base potential as being guys that could develop in the system. I think they've tried to do that, but they haven't done it well. Because it's still that same issue where it's like, even if you're taking a guy that has a high floor, if you don't complement those tools that they already bring to the table with something else to kind of make them stand out, they just kind of become a guy. And I think that's really where the White Sox have hit struggles, looking at a guy like Andrew Vaughn, where you haven't seen that next level of development beyond what we already knew he would be going in as a rookie, where it's like, 
the ASCAP power has unbelievable flashes with the bat, but he needs to do these things to start getting more elevation <laughs> and more air on, under in his swing. Like those are things that haven't happened yet. So mm-hmm. if you want to fault the player for not adjusting, that's one thing, but the White Sox have shown a consistency on missing in that way. And that's what separates what I would consider the smart teams from the not so smart teams, because the smarter teams understand going in, here's exactly what we need to do to make this guy this level caliber player. And the other teams, I think, try to cover up those mistakes um, and draft by a certain type based on the profile of their scouting department. And I think it sometimes hinders that development for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it comes down to just, you know, not to sound like too much of a nerd, but data. Uh, there's more data available. There's yeah. more data available on these players than there ever has been before. And it's uh, some teams know how to use that and know how to identify traits, um, underlying traits in some players, the way they throw, the way they swing, whatever, that, um, you know, aren't necessarily leading to results in the moment uh, for one reason or another. But they say, oh, okay. Uh, you know, we see that this guy has a, you know, 2,700 RPM, RPM curveball. Uh, you know, he, he needs to use it more in these scenarios. This guy has, this guy has a really, really nice fastball that's spinning really high, has a really upright access, but for some reason he's throwing sinkers 50% of the time. So, right. you know, his, so, so his college numbers suck. I mean, there's a reason that the teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees who are constantly drafting in the back half of the first round are able to pluck guys like Walker Bueller out of there, you know, Corey Seager in the comp round, because they see these underlying traits that make for good hitters if they're used a certain way, like mm-hmm. you said, Tommy, uh, and they're good at getting them to then take those steps to actually take advantage of them. And whatever kind of coaching and, you know, data analysis uh, and the connection between the two, the White Sox have, it just doesn't work the same way. It just doesn't. We, we see Texas celebrating their uh, their Christmas present that just dropped under the tree to them. And Wyatt Langford uh, indeed is the, the pick at four. Uh, that's not even fair for them. I mean, that's just... Yeah. <laughs> It's just interesting. You Steve, you Steve. could not, yeah. You you could not come up with a more a more appropriate and timely pairing of player and team right yeah. now. I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the major leagues for them next year. Mm-hmm. The rest of the league, the rest of the AL West, should not be happy with the Detroit Tigers right now. And uh, <laughs> I don't think Detroit Tigers fans are going to be very happy with the Detroit Tigers right now. I don't Tigers think so right either. Now. No. This is this is the second time in uh, in two or three years they've they've done this. I'm. I think it was in 2021 when they went and took um, Jackson Joby, high school pitcher, again, third overall, when uh, Marcelo Meyer and Jordan Lawler, shortstops, who were kind of considered at the top of the class, were um, were still available. So they you know, they have a history of this, too. They, they like their guys, and they generally skew young. They like high school players. And, um, yeah, they, they stick to that, which, again, is kind of partially why they're stuck in this place because – you need to have some level. I mean, you you might have your type, but if you can't recognize, mm-hmm. I, I don't even know what to say because like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I just don't see a world where a where where Langford is going to help them less than Max Clark is yeah. in four for sure. <laughs> Yeah. In three, four, five years' time. Right. It's rare to see uh, this like lineup of teams we have here, where the Rangers just uh, pick got a high pick, and yet they're you know on top. They've been on top of the American League, or at least briefly in and out on top of the American League. The Twins at number five is a little more believable because they are in 
first place or fighting for first place in a division that's, as we very well know, is very horrible. You can't even count that as that they're doing well. Although if the season ended, you know, today, I guess they'd be in the playoffs. Um, so it's interesting to see them at, at four or five uh, twins, presumably, given that they are a lesser team uh, at the major league level. Now are guys that could uh, a team could who could also be drafting for today. Um, I'm not really familiar enough with their system. I know it's been depleted with some maybe errant trades. Uh, uh, so they could probably could use uh, really it's either hand, right? They could use help now um, and, and strike while, while, while things are hot in a terrible division, or they could be looking to um, re- replenish their system. Yeah, and you know the Twins have been, as far as I know, they don't necessarily have a type in the same way that some of these other organizations do. They've they've been connected to Walker Jenkins, uh, high school outfielder, for quite some time. They they they've gone there before. Of course, they took Buxton, uh, number two overall. They took Alex Kirilov a few years ago, as well as uh, Trevor Larnick, Brent Rooker, all started in their in their in their system. So that's you know a, a pick that makes sense, even if they're not necessarily married to it. I don't think there's a player available right now. Once you get through that top three that's kind of in that you know we're competing now so we want a guy who's going to be up in a year or two i think if they see the ceiling on jenkins and say okay you know what maybe it's not quite on this timeline but he is probably he is probably the best hitter left available at this point uh at any level so it depends on whether you know whether they think that's worth you know waiting on that timeline for him to develop and probably not be in the big leagues for three or four years or maybe they do go um with a safer hitter like uh you know a catcher catcher kyle teal is one guy who's been floated up there a little bit um probably pretty quick to the majors uh you know there's some options here but pretty much every mock that i've seen has them uh has them on on jenkins so we'll see i mean we've already been surprised once but we'll 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 see what they do here Uh, let me jump in real quick and say that we're not sure if we're going to be doing anything necessarily tomorrow night after like day two or, or day one, day big day one of the draft. But certainly we'll do something uh, wrapping up uh, right now. We've got our uh, apparently, hey, look out for him. We've got our Luke Smales apparently on the field uh, for us and not able to join us tonight. But hopefully for the wrap up on uh, on Tuesday, he may be able to uh, join in and, and give an assessment of the entire 20 pick draft, as I hope maybe uh, Tommy and or Maliki will be able to uh, join me as well. And we can assess whether the White Sox uh, seem to or project to be doing as well uh, this year as maybe they did last year, because it seems like um, some of those uh, sleep, some of those lower sleeper picks are, are are playing out. Okay, I hear the booze. That must be the Minnesota draft. Uh, twins are ready to draft. And Tommy will tell Another us. surprise. <laughs> Walker Jenkins. Oh, did they go with Jenkins? Yeah. There you have it. And that's kind of the last of the real, you know, top tier of high school bats available. So now this is where this is where things really, really get interesting, uh, where you probably have a tier of guys that's, you know, maybe eight to 10 players deep. You've got some, you know, contact oriented shortstops like, uh, you know, Jacob Gonzalez, a shortstop from Mississippi is one. Uh, Jacob Wilson, who is from Grand Canyon College, uh, is out there. Either one of those guys could be an option. Uh you know, you've got a couple catchers available. Like I said, Kyle Teal is is probably going to go top ten somewhere. You still have uh, um, Wake Forest Rhett Louder on on the board, who had a fantastic College World Series. So, um, yeah, this is where this is where the wild cards really start. And I'm, I mean, that's a solid enough pick for for Minnesota. It doesn't really impact their timeline over the next two three years. Um, jury's out. You know, they <clears throat> that seemed to have been their guy from the get go. So. Uh, 
you know, whatever they like in him, I guess we'll find out. But great news, guys. Uh, Minnesota gets no immediate help uh, for this 2023 season. That's a big plus for the White Sox. All right. Thank you, Minnesota. Thank you, Detroit. <laughs> We're just, what? We'll take the wins where we can. Yeah. 16 below 500. So, hey. And um, I saw uh, Thomas in the uh, comments asked a question about Vaughn's development because he skipped double A AA and triple A. Uh, Brett, I agree with your point about him being a little bit of an outlier, yeah. but I think even if, you know, there, there's some players, I think the whole, the, you know, bringing guys through the system can be a little overrated. Like you don't have to do every single stop, especially mm -hmm. when, um, you're as complete of a hitter as Andrew Vaughn was at that point in time. Um, some of these other guys will fall into a similar profile. Um, you're really looking at specific things that you can address in that player's swing on those stops. And that was supposedly what the White Sox were doing. Um, you know, whether or not that actually happened, whether or not that actually translated to him playing every day in the majors who knows but that was one of the reasons why having him play out of position in the outfield didn't make any sense one of the reasons why just everything in the way that he's been handled since he's brought brought up hasn't made any sense so i think it wasn't so much a fault of the development track um that is something white Sox have struggled with before when they've picked more raw players especially like kenny williams era guys like keenan walker all those guys were just like pure raw athletes you don't want those guys jumping from single a to double a triple a but for somebody like vaughn he should have just had one or two things that he needed to tweak along the way and that should have been it so it's uh totally and leave, leave it to the white sex to take this to screw it up anyway majors to still mess it up and say hey why don't you Hey, can you play left field? How about we work you out a little bit second base or third base? You know, and, and the White Sox still screwed it up. So I mean, take that for what you will. Yeah, I think the fact that he put up the offensive numbers that he did, being a roughly league average hitter um, as a rookie, having skipped the minor leagues, playing a position that he had never played before in his life, uh, kind of tells you that I don't think minor league development there was a lot, a lot there for him. I think it's more of a failure of their major league coaching. And again, this is, you know, the same thing with their being a not being a smart organization and not really knowing what they're doing with um, with data plays into this, too, because the problems with Andrew Vaughn, just like the same, you know, problems with Aloy Jimenez, you know, mashing the ball into the ground, Andrew Vaughn not getting to his pull side power and taking yeah. everything the other way. So he could. These are all pretty easily identifiable problems, uh, but they're just not being addressed at the major league level and they're not being fixed. I mean, I will fully admit I was. I was very much on board the Andrew Vaughn breakout train this year. I've defended him for quite some time and it's hard to even put it on him because, you know, it's clear what the problems are, but it's not his, it's not his job to look at the data and look at his spray charts. I mean, some players go above and beyond to do that stuff, but I'm not going to blame him for not, yeah. for not doing that. And, you know, I don't think, I think all of the development that I, if if this isn't stuff that he wasn't that he's not learning at the major league level, I don't think it was stuff that the Sox were going to be teaching him and him at, at the minor league levels either. Um, yeah. So that's that's uh, that's a fun one. Yeah. But hey, you and know what? As as far as LSU draft picks go, let's hope these guys turn out better than Jared Mitchell. So mm, we're to talk ouch. about that era. Oh man, <laughs> poor Jared. 
got hurt. At least you can point to getting hurt. But um, And let's not overlook roster construction. Let's not let Rick Hahn off the hook. Roster construction is a role in Andrew Vaughn's struggles. Yeah, I think it's really hard to understate. Oh, I'll say it in a sec. Looks like we got a pick. Mm. Jacob Wilson. Tommy. Grand Canyon U. Mm-hmm. Now, there's another guy that was um, mocked to the A's in a couple different places. I think both... Um, I think both MLB.com and uh, Fangraphs had had them popping Wilson at six. He's a um, contact first, solid glove shortstop. Probably going to be pretty quick to the majors. Um, likely not going to be anything special, but um, you know, solid hitting shortstops are are harder to find than 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 you would think. And uh, you know, the Oakland A's are not a team that typically takes a lot of risks. Uh, and the draft, particularly after the the Kyler Murray decision, completely blew up in their faces a few years ago. Uh, so I, I can't speak too much about Wilson, but this kind of fits with what uh, what what the experts were mostly saying. I think he'll likely yeah, I, be making his debut in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I agree. I just like this seems like a super safe pick to me. That's so just. I, I know that's Oakland's MO, but even by their standards, it just seems very safe. Yeah, and like I said before, this is where things start to get interesting with the pitchers. You know, Rhett Lauder could drop anywhere from 7, probably to 11, 12. You know, maybe a team takes a chance on Chase Dollander, even though, again, he has suboptimal fastball shape, uh, <laughs> as they've said. Um and now we're also starting to get into the teams that aren't like super bad right now. So we're not True. necessarily in best player available territory. We're in, okay, what fits our development timeline? What fits like the kind of traits that we like, that kind of stuff. So uh, Fangraphs, Fangraphs has uh, as well, <clears throat> has uh, Virginia catcher Kyle Teal mocked to Cincinnati here. Um they have drafted a lot of catchers in the past going, I mean, dating back to Yasmani Grandal. He was mm-hmm. a Cincinnati draft pick, uh, Devin Masorico, Masorico. However, uh, Tyler Stevenson, one of their catchers right now was probably one of the more underrated catchers in the game. They have a pretty extensive history history there. So, uh, he, he's the expected pick here, you might say. Um, but again, things could get pretty interesting. And, you know, Teal is a guy that if he does, uh, you know, end up taking a spill towards 11, 12, 13, um, someone that you might even keep an eye on with the White Sox. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the win now, Cincinnati Reds, so come on. Um, hey, uh, Luke's mail's already shouted him out once. We haven't seen him on the field yet, so, you know, whatever. Is he really on the field? Um, has thrown out Chase Davis out of Arizona. He does not seem to be – that seems to be a sleeper type of pick. Um, is, is that something we could see the, the White Sox doing going – you know, forget even the specifics, but just um, going hitter here? We seem to be leaning pitcher, but uh, do you think there's a chance the White Sox are going hitter first round? I think, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm only getting my information from the people who actually have inside info and people have been kind of, um, you know, saying with Dollander specifically not expecting him to fall that that low with mm-hmm. the kind of organizational philosophy the White Sox typically go with that if he's there, yeah. uh, they'll take him. But dating back months, the name that they've been connected to there is Yohandi Morales, the third baseman from Miami, kind of fits in there. Um, in their historical lane of college hitters with some power potential and some decent contact ability who um, probably aren't going to be anything super special. Chase Davis. uh, So, so Chase Davis probably is a legitimate possibility there. And he's a name that I've heard uh, from a few 
different people whose evaluation abilities I genuinely trust that he's probably getting undermocked here. He's a guy whose uh, exit velocities are typically as good as anybody in the game. Uh, he's also probably going to be pretty quick to the majors. He doesn't necessarily have some of the swing and miss issues that you often see with guys with that uh, power ability. So if he's a guy that uh, is there at 15 and you know the White Sox feel like maybe taking a little bit of risk then uh, and jumping a few spots over where the rest of the industry seems to have him, then I don't think I could be, I don't think I would be super unhappy with that pick and particularly they, their need, their need in the outfield. You know, I know you don't, you don't draft for, for positional mm-hmm. need, but uh, you can speak even, even in the minor league system who they got right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Unfortunately, the list of positions right. is more than one, you got which is unfortunate. But... You know, you got yes, Colson Montgomery sitting there. You got Brian Ramos sitting there in the outfield. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Is Blake Rutherford still around for fuck's yeah. sake? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, But I mean, I will say Chase Davis is a guy that makes sense to me. It, he strikes me as being kind of like a, a and I mean this in the best way possible, <laughs> a Kenny Williams pick because he has that raw power potential with the athleticism that is well within his wheelhouse of picks. So for those of you conspiracy theorists like me that are wondering how much Rick Hahn is influencing who's selected in the draft and what kind of scouting is happening, that would be a, um, a very Kenny Williams type pick. An indication of, yeah, go ahead. Oh no, sorry. And, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brett, because you were you were actually there in the sense, if I remember correctly, part of the um, you know the reasoning for the the shuffle that happened about ten years ago when when Kenny got bumped upstairs and Rickon was was officially given the GM title was not only that they were probably gonna gonna lose Han right. to another team at that point, but if I remember hearing that Kenny more wanted to get back towards uh, the scouting side and the player development side of things, which is of course where he was the scouting director. That's where he got to start. So mm-hmm. I don't think that's a, I, I don't think that's conspiracy minor at all. Tommy, actually, I, I would actually, I would, <laughs> I would put my money on that probably being, being more true than not, honestly, uh, just based on, based on what I know about this closed esoteric organization. <laughs> or, or Tommy taking a look at the, the future leadership of the Chicago White Sox. Is it, a, is it a Ken Williams Jr. Exactly. pick? You know, it's like, it's still so, I don't think, I don't think anything could possibly sum up this organization and their draft issues, philosophy, development, whatever you want to call it, is that the, um, the time they, they, they decided they were going to stop drafting, you know, Nepo children, uh, right at Alec Thomas, who is, you know, became of course a top 50 prospect and is going to be a starting, you know, might take a year or two to develop, but I think he's going to be a very good player for the Arizona Diamondbacks. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, Osney Gian, go ahead and take Osney Gian, but, but the guy who could actually play, who went to Mount Carmel high school, right in your bloody backyard. Nope. That's where we're drawing the line. Yeah. 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 Uh, downside if we do not end up uh, uh, having um, Chase Dallinger fall to us is we'll, we'll have a little less um, entertaining engagement from uh, Hunter's mom. She's been very active with us on uh, Twitter. She's always uh, appreciative of the articles, Rook, because, I mean, Hunter has struggled this year, but, I mean, he has, his pro debut sort of coming out of nowhere uh, was pretty impressive. So uh, I know she's very engaged with our work. And, you know, that's really what the draft should be all about. Pick the people who will engage most with us and at Southside Sox. So really, who that person is, that's really what it comes down to for me. Cincinnati Reds appear to have taken Rhett Louder with the seventh overall pick, who 
had a dominant College World Series for a uh, Wake Forest team that came absolutely out of nowhere. Went 15-0 and this season. And, like, I know wins. I know pitcher wins are, like, totally out the window now and nobody cares. But I think one of my biggest old head beliefs is that wins can still tell you something in the sense that if you're really piling up an absurd number of wins... That means you're going deep into games and you're keeping your team in the game the entire time. You know, a year where I, I don't think a guy who wins 18 games in a year is necessarily by any means better than a guy who wins eight games in a year. But if you thinking about like, I don't know, that Justin Verlander MVP season, I think he's the last guy to win 24 games in the season. If you get 24 wins in 35 starts, that means something. Rhett Lauder was a guy who was going out there. I mean, think of it this way. You pick up a win in 15 of the 19 starts mm-hmm. you make in a season. You are doing a lot for your team. You are a competitor. You are bringing a lot of things to the table that you're not maybe necessarily going to get out of your, you know, the kind of uh, moldable, projectable guy who throws 102 miles an hour, but, but, you know, breaks after 80 innings uh, type, type mold. So I'm, I'm a big fan of this pick for, again, a team that is in win, win now mode. Yeah. And not just Malachi uh, because uh, college teams are are perhaps at least slightly more willing to abuse their pitchers, but those, those wins seem to count more. It's harder to get maybe a cheap win. You got guys going, you know, if if you're, if you're a horse starter, you know, if you're a Friday starter or whatever, you're, you know, you're putting, probably putting up some big innings. You're sort of earning, you know, those, those wins as much as you can earn a win as opposed to, you know, the, the way we dismiss it at the major league level. So, yeah, I think there's a little bit more um, true to life with wins, maybe still at the NCAA level that we even see at major league baseball level. Just but Tommy, you already know like the 15th pick. So, you know, feel free to let us know. Just right now, <laughs> well, we're, right we're now we're, we're doing, we, we actually have like players there at the draft. So they're doing like the weird, awkward shake and hug with um, Manfred and the post draft interview. So we'll have, we have some time now, but it's just, it's really awkward seeing Rob Manfred interact with other people. Maybe uh, maybe the White Sox will pick the guy who can do the backflip up on, on stage. Yeah. Yeah. You, took, you, took words, <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, is the backflip back move now cursed? I mean, uh, it I, has to be now. Courtney Hawkins was killing it in the Atlantic League a while ago when I, when mm-hmm. I checked a couple years ago. Let's see. He's uh, still, according to Baseball Reference, he is still an active player. Oh, you know what? He is, he is playing in, the, uh, in Japan right now. That's what he's doing. Good for him. Still going. Hit uh, <laughs> hit hit two ninety eight with forty eight home runs in the Atlantic League last year. <laughs> oh man, what a guy was that could have been! It, was it um, um, Keenan or was it Courtney who had, who was the Chicago Dogs uh, home run? Was he the AA all time home run single season champ as well? I know we could yes, that, that, that was Keenan. Yep. So you know. They pan out just at the wrong level. It's not for the wrong yeah. team. I mean, at least Keenan was. It was a Chicago team. You know, okay. Uh, Royals picked Blake Mitchell. That's an interesting one. There's um, so that's then another guy where you kind of look to see where the Royals are sitting later in the draft, um, in the late first, early second round. You know, he was mocked to uh, Boston at number fourteen by Fangraphs. He was um a little bit further down, I think on on MLB's pick. I don't, I don't know a lot about him. You know, catchers are inherently super risky, uh, especially, um, is he a high school catcher? I'm, yeah. And I mean, you might not find, you might not find a riskier profile in, in baseball than a high school catcher. A guy could be, you know, it could wind up being a, um, 
Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually struggling to think of a high school first round catcher who, who has turned into an immediate star recently. I mean, your Buster Posey's, your Osmani Grandals, uh, those are, those are college guys. I mean, maybe you got to go back to, you know, Joe Maurer. You know, Joe Maurer was up there. Tyler Stevenson looking pretty good for, um, for, for the, uh, excuse me, the, um, I just said the name, the Reds right now. I, I, it's just interesting because the Royals, again, like the White Sox, are bad at player development. Um, I wonder. I have to wonder if their history with catchers here makes them think they're seeing something that okay, this is this is the heir to Salvi Perez right here. We got our guy. Uh, but otherwise, I'm not sure. I'm not 100 percent sure what I see in this one. But we'll see how he develops. I guess. Well, if, if if trends hold true, he'll be uh, picked up into the White Sox organization or or traded for, or acquired in twenty thirty one, maybe. Because after go. all, we know where the hotbed of everything hot in Major League Baseball is, and it is Coffin Stadium in Kansas City, outskirts of Kansas City. That's where we get all our brain trust, and even some of our players. So now we're getting into some of those middle picks of teams, you know, uh, teams that were bad last year that are better this year or still consider themselves to be in contention. You know, the Colorado Rockies are on the clock. They might be the only organization in baseball that's dumber top to bottom than the White Sox. Uh, they're notorious for only drafting pitchers who have good sinkers. They don't like four seamers. Uh, so a guy like, you know, some of the better pitchers available, high schooler, uh, Noble Meyer, Hurston Waldrip out of Florida, uh, Dollander, those don't seem like possibilities here. Um, uh, uh, Eric Longenhagen at Fangraphs had them on Rhett Louder at this point. So, you know, he's he's gone. Um, it's, you know, the Rockies are always kind of a, always kind of a toss up, but they do tend to gravitate towards toolsy, toolsy high school players. Zach Veen from a couple of years ago is an example. Uh, David Dahl a few years before that, who I believe went, uh, went right before Courtney Hawkins. So this, this pick is liable to be kind of a wild card. Some of the best, you know, you might see, you might see TCU third baseman, Braden Taylor as, as the best player on some guys boards. He was mocked top seven, top eight by most teams. Uh, you know, they, they don't have a third baseman right now since trading uh, Nolan Arenado. There's guys like high school players like Colin Houck um, or, um, excuse me, <laughs> um, shortstop Arjun Namala still out there. That kind of fits their profile. Um, Kyle Teal is still out there. I've mentioned his name a few times. Uh, no sense of what they might do with this, but uh, it could it could have some kind of cascade effect because if you get a guy like Hurston Waldrip dropping to the Sox, uh, even more so than Dollander, I think that's a um, that's a name to watch. You know, Enrique Bradfield Jr. has been kind of falling falling in mock drafts as the season went on. Very very toolsy center fielder from Vanderbilt. Um, uh, that's a guy who, again, the Rockies could jump ahead for because he kind of fits that profile for them. Uh, he's also someone that's been connected to the White Sox. I wouldn't be super mad at that either, uh, but I don't know. we got to wait and see on this one. Looks like they're uh, sending their pick in. Boy, that Rockies draft room looks moribund. <laughs> well, wouldn't you be? Well, they heard what you said. <laughs> Come on. They're, they're a little bummed out. Gee, worse than the Sox? Man. I mean, it's true. Yeah, no, it's not a lie. <laughs> it's not a lie. <laughs> I mean, if we can be chippy about a team, wow, that, that team needs to look in the mirror. 
Wow. Rob Manford is responsible. I want everybody to know Rob Manford is responsible for this dead air. <laughs> Not us. Yeah. Boy, we're getting closer and closer to the Sox, and there's some interesting names there. I think if uh, I think if Waldrip is still there, he's really he's really my guy. Um, watched him pitch quite a bit at Florida this past year. His his split changeup is probably the best single pitch in the draft, mm. uh, according to according to some, and that is Damn something it. we do. We Chase Dolander. There goes. Oh, okay, interesting. There there goes oh. Dolander. You know, it's funny because um, in the Fangraphs mock draft that had uh, a couple days ago that had Dollander going to the White Sox, the blurb was, uh, I think it's most likely if he if he falls, it'll come to a stop with a team that seems to care less about fastball shape than others do. <laughs> the White Sox fit that bill. So, you know, if the White Sox fit the bill, you know what? So do the Rockies. They don't so do the Rockies. How, they've been playing in Coors Field for 30 years, and they still haven't figured out how to like develop pitching for it. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, like I said, even by I think they, they make the White Sox look like fucking Mensa members. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I I don't think there's very many organizations as willfully ignorant as the Colorado Rockies either. So we're starting to get to the exciting part where at some point it does seem like a, a real plum is going to drop to the White Sox. So th this is sort of fun in stepping up to this, knowing that there was a likelihood that something maybe better than we thought uh, uh, was going to fall. And, the idea that there might be a choice of, of maybe multiple <laughs> um, uh, trickle down players. Uh, that's Yeah. So and, it's, uh, a, it's a and, high school arm, but I'm curious, Malachi, on your thoughts on Noble Meyer, because that's a name that I thought would be off the board by now, but he's <laughs> around too. Sorry, can you say it again? I cut, I cut out for a half second. Uh, I was wondering what your thoughts were on Noble Meyer, a high school pitcher that I, I don't have been taken by now. I I don't have a whole lot on him other than he is considered, you know, the best um, the best prep pitcher out there. If he's falling this far in the draft after being mocked top ten by most by most. Um, by most organizations, I have to imagine that it's not a great fit for the White Sox because he's probably going to be asking for overslot money. And at this point, the fact that he's actually falling could be a sign uh, that he's being what they call floated down to the bottom of the first round where you have a team saying, uh, look, we'll give you your overslot money. We'll give you your $3 million bonus or whatever. Uh, later in the first round, if you you know fall and you say to a team picking 15th, 16th, I'm not signing with you for slot. You've got to right. you say upright, I'm not signing for slot. You got to give me this much money. At which point the Sox say, okay, we're not doing that. Forget about it. You're off. You're off our board. Mm -hmm. And uh, Thomas, in the in the comments there, you're right. It is the that that is why they tend to gravitate towards sinker ball pitchers. Um, you know, you induce more grounders. Fly ball pitchers tend to not do very well in in Coors Field at all. Uh, the only issue is, as far as it goes, it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. <laughs> it straight it up has, hasn't worked. They've gotten sinker ballers that still can't pitch at Coors Field. So, I mean, it's, that's not, yeah. Mm -hmm. the they get there. they get sinker ballers, and not only that, they get sinker ballers who still have good four-seamers, for example, or who still, you know, have have – can work up in the zone and can elevate and they don't let him do it. I mean, they've yeah. utterly ruined, they've utterly ruined Herman Marquez who really should have been a fastball yep. up in the zone guy. Um, like I said, they're, they, they have their, their strategy. They stick to it, but it just, 
I mean, you know, Kyle Freeland is probably the best pitcher they've developed uh, outside of Marquez in the past however many years. And every time I watch that guy pitch, I look at his ERA and I'm, I, I watch him pitch and I'm like, how is he still in the majors? And I look at his ERA and it's in the mid fours. It's yeah. okay. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do, what they do with Dollander for sure. Um, they don't care about fastball shape as we know. <laughs> All right, so do we have a pick coming in here for the Marlins, who I think Not have been, uh, who I think have been mostly uh, connected to uh, Jacob Gonzalez from a couple different outlets, the shortstop from uh, Mississippi. Mississippi, who is yeah. a pretty pretty hit tool driven guy. He's going to make a lot of contact, take the ball the other way. Kind of fits the uh, fits the bill of what Miami has looked for in recent years. Um, but again, they also love, as we know, pitchers with great changeups. Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez for a minute. Um, oh gosh, that 2010 Ubaldo Jimenez season, man, that was <laughs> that was that was next. Gosh, that was something, man. That was something. <laughs> that, that was a lot of music, is what that was. Yeah. He was so nasty when that yeah, he man. Was. Yeah. I don't know what happened to him, but. Uh, and then, of course, famously, however many years later, gave up the uh, the game losing home run in the the Zach Britton game for mm-hmm. for Baltimore, the game known as the Zach Britton game because Zach Britton didn't pitch in it. Right, good old Buck Showalter. But uh, yeah, it seems like it seems like the consensus here is that the Marlins are going to go with a relatively relatively safe pick. They like they. Oh, what I, was going, no. what I was going with that is that they like uh, they like pitchers you know, right-handers with good change-ups. So Waldrip is a fit there, but uh, Tommy, you seem to have the intel here. Uh, Noble Meyer. So I there goes Meyer. Perfect timing. <laughs> Way to go, Tommy. Are, are you from the future? <laughs> <laughs> Only on the internet, Brett. <laughs> How do the White Sox end up, Tommy? Are they going to move? Not, it's not pretty. <laughs> okay. I'm cutting you off. So now we got the. Uh, oh my gosh, he looks like he's just a giant baby. Tiny. <laughs> so now we're in territory here. We got the Angels on the clock. Um, I think just about everybody has um, has mocked Kyle Teal to them. The catcher. That being said, they are not good at. They don't have a lot of pitching. They're not great at developing pitching. Uh, they famously, I think it was 2021, used the first year that all that the draft was cut down to um, 20 rounds. They used all 20 picks on pitchers, right. oh, yeah. and they still don't really have a lot of pitching. You know, Patrick really? Sandoval is nice; he's inconsistent. Otani will be playing for the Dodgers in about a month and a half. Um, <laughs> so Waldrip, Waldrip feels like a very, very logical choice here. He's the best pitcher available on the board by far. Um, so after that, you know, it kind of goes up in the air. Do the Sox get their guy Morales? Do they, um, you know, do they take a shot on someone like Teal if he falls? There's a few, um, uh, there's a few high school infielders, Colin Houck, um, who I, I feel like, is he related to Tanner Houck, the Red Sox pitcher? I, I thought don't was. know, but that's, doesn't, I, it doesn't seem like a very, <laughs> doesn't seem like a super common name, but you've got, um, uh, and you've got, uh, what's his name? Nolan. Um, I'm not sure, quite sure how to, how to pronounce his name, but, uh, Nolan Shanuel, who's a first baseman for Florida Atlantic, who has huge raw power, uh, definitely fits, fits the bill there. Uh, not too similar from not doing another first uh, baseman. No, Come on. You know, <laughs> why'd you bring that up? 
Jeez, Hans listening. Mike Shirley, overrule. Look, man. I just, you I just, I don't, I didn't make do. it up. I, just, I know. I didn't make it up. I just say it. I just say it. Um, you know, like I said, Enrique Bradfield Jr. is a guy who who has been mocked anywhere from the top ten to out of the first round, and also fits the bill historically. Of you know, he's a college pick, um, but of very very toolsy outfielders. Doesn't have a lot of pop, but will probably be quick to the majors and steal forty fifty bags a year. Uh, I, I can't say I'd be terribly unhappy with that, just because getting another plus outfielder who can run the bases and with a little bit of plate discipline is music to my ears personally. Um, so I don't know. We'll see who, who we got on the clock right now. Is it uh right? The angels, the angels. The I angels. Just said that. <laughs> <clears throat> Cubs coming up at 13. They're interesting. They, they tend to, uh, they tend to move around a little bit. They don't have, they don't have a type as far as I know. I understand that the White Sox can't, I mean, especially given the state of the system, can't just say, you know, we don't have this or the, I mean, obviously they're not playing for this year. If they are, mm-hmm. then they really need their heads examined. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the system, as we pointed out, is sort of weak. I mean, there's always relief arms, but other than middle infield, um, there, you know, there, there's not a whole lot there, certainly at any sort of upper level. But I mean, when you just think about something like catching, they just, it's, it's almost like they've almost never even drafted a catcher if you even want to call Zach Collins a catcher. I mean, at some point, they just say, you know what? I mean, I know you got to go off of what the field is telling you, but, I mean, do you just say, man, we really need, you know, we need a catcher. We're going to go after, you know, I mean, what? Mm-hmm. And, and Teal has been described as a sure thing catcher, but, gosh, bringing that up, it really is incredible that they thought they could actually have Zach Collins be a catcher when the entire world – I mean, yeah. I have never in my life watching him in the majors in 2021. I don't think I, I've seen a worse defensive catcher in my life. And I watched a lot of Gary Sanchez between 2018 and 2021, <laughs> I'll tell you. And that's that's a high bar to clear. And, yeah. Oh, gosh, well, here you we don't go. have to worry about the White Sox drafting a first baseman because Nolan Shanuel is off the board. Oh my God! Nolan Shanuel at eleven. Okay. That is a That's... very interesting pick. Guess the Angels need to uh, replace that Otani. Well, they bat, know huh? that I was going to say they're looking yeah. for that Otani replacement right there. I, I'm just really shocked that after the way things have gone with um, with Andrew Vaughn and Spencer Torkelson, that we're even still considering using top fifteen picks on on first base only first guys base. at this point. Yeah. Um, which I hate to say because I love a good first baseman that can mash, but boy, those guys really did just kind of <laughs> sink the ship for, for everybody else. I mean, if you don't have positional flexibility in college, you're not going to have it in the big leagues either. So the angels also not known for being one of the more uh, intelligent teams I, out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I to say they're not really blazing any trails right now either. No, and and the the common thread with teams like you know the Angels, the White Sox, the Rockies, meddling meddling ownership that really thinks they know what they're doing, but they don't. It starts from the top. 
And to be fair, once the White Sox got close to got their grips on Andrew Vaughn, they did try to instill and force that positional flexibility. You know, they're just doing it differently. They're just they're just going they're going they're going backdoor with the draft, and I don't think it works that way. Uh, Maliki would know, but yeah, I don't think it works that way. I mean, there, there are no sure things, and the idea that you really need this, the uh, uh, Shaniel just picked uh, to, to absolutely to make it as as um as probably a masher and certainly a major league hitter i mean this is a draft of I mean, it's, it's pressure you got to come through it's not like you sort of get Bar. a pass if you're if you're drafting at uh, 23 but i mean these guys have it's, to come through mm-hmm. exactly where they're drafted yeah and it's yeah. you know and it's it's not like most of the first basemen in the major leagues were the top first basemen in their draft class most of the best first basemen in the major leagues came up as outfielders or third basemen exactly. and then had to move and just the 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 offensive bar at first base is so high. I mean, I'm pulling up the uh, all leaders right now for uh, WRC plus at first baseman. And there are only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There are only eight first qualified first baseman in the league with a, with a WRC plus under 100, you know, the, the 15th Anthony Rizzo is the 15th ranked first baseman by WRC plus, And he's at 115, which would be like second on the white Sox right now mm-hmm. that it's a, to be, to be, and and you could say there's something to be said just by getting a solid starter in the first round of the draft because half of the first round doesn't even make the major leagues in any given year. You know that's the nature of the base. That's the nature of the MLB draft and the nature of, of, of baseball. But but man, you're really just putting so much on 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 that guy. I mean, you're looking at Pete Alonso is is the tenth ranked by WRC plus first baseman in the league right now. That's Pete Alonso. You're really saying you've got to hit a really high bar to justify this pick, especially when you know for a fact there's probably going to be at least three, four, five, six guys drafted in the subsequent 10, 20 picks who are going to end up being all-stars, you know? Yeah. So that is that is the bar the White Sox work with. Just get them to the majors. It really doesn't matter what they do in the majors. Just get them because then you can say, hey, we've got eight first rounders in the major league, which ain't nothing, but, well, you know. You need the breakout guys, not just the Gavin Sheetses who, you know, hit a – oh, wait, hey, by the way, you shout out. Shout out, Zach. Don't listen to Maliki. You can catch the ball maybe in a summer league game. Come on. <laughs> Zach Collins, catch me. Uh, that was such a bad experience from the beginning to end. Just, follow, you know, following the trails, like the trade trails of the Sox drafts from like 2015, 2016 on – you know, Collins turned into Reese McGuire, who turned into Jake Diekman, who is now, of course, dicing it up for the Tampa Bay Rays. Yep. Nothing I love. I really love the Nick Madrigal to Craig Kimbrell to AJ Pollock to nothing pipeline. Gosh. Hey, you know, I, I the more we're getting into the 12th pick right now, we got three to go. I'm starting to sell myself more and more on uh, Waldrop here if, if, if he gets there. Um, that split change up. Well, who do we got picking right now? We got the Diamondbacks, we got the Cubs, and we got the Red Sox. And um, none of those three teams have been mocked by pretty much any of the major outlets, whether it's um, uh, MLB, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, MLB, Fangraphs, ESPN, those guys. The only one that has them taking a, the any of those three taking a picture is um, Jim Callis, who has them taking Waldrop at twelve. Uh, but they have been tied to Colin Houck. Um so this one's kind of kind of up in the air. I would imagine if Waldrop doesn't go here, there's a good chance he falls to the White Sox. So that's kind of that's that, that's what I'm keeping my eye on here. I'm, I'm about to put a picture up of the way that Waldrop throws his his split changeup, and it's 
it's truly it's truly incredible uh it's the kind of thing where i'm not even sure you know it's one of those things where the white Sox can just say like just let it ride we don't need to do anything with you mm. um where is and the, the that's the guy we want picked, yeah diamondbacks just picked tommy troy who i'm that's partial another. to just because we share the name but you know <laughs> i mean that's a that's a little bit of a reach right there but uh um, he's from Stanford, if I'm if I'm remembering Correct. correctly. He's a little guy too. Mm-hmm. Another contact-based guy. That's kind of another type that they that they go for. Smaller guys that they can uh, you know get a little bit more power out of than uh, you know Corbin Carroll wasn't supposed to have any power at all. Um, they they like they like toolsy hitters that they can they can maximize. So um, yeah, I don't know much about him, but that should be you know the Diamondbacks are a surprising team this year. So maybe we got to start taking them a little bit more seriously. Uh, where well, Dave Stewart's not around anymore, so we can take them a little more seriously. Dave Although, Stewart, you, were, <laughs> you know, we're looking at a uh, Hurst oh, and wow. Waldrop split, split changeup group right now. You know, it basically comes up. It's a fork ball. It comes up with really minimal spin. Uh, he can throw it where he needs to throw it. I can't speak with confidence to, to his strike throwing ability. I think it's not necessarily great, which is partially why he's falling. He's got a little. Um, uh excuse me he's he's um you know gonna move quickly some some reports had him saying you know he could pitch at a big league bullpen very very soon we know the white Sox love that Uh (laughs) so i don't know tells here there's some tells cubs wild card you know the red Sox are often a um kind of best talent available type yeah. team. They, they jumped on Marcelo Meyer when he fell to number seven a couple of years ago, uh, back around 2015, you know, when Jay Groom was in the, in the vicinity for, uh, the conversation for, you know, a top two or three pick and ended up falling due to, to character concerns. Uh, they, they wound up popping on, jumping on him, excuse me. Uh, so that's one, that's one that could, that could go anywhere, but very interested to see what the Cubs do because they've been kind of, they've been kind of all over the place in recent years. And they're also in this kind of in between place as a, as an organization right now, where like, are they competing? Are they trying to compete? Like what's, what's going on there? I don't know. Yeah. Gosh, the agony, the agony. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> thanks Cubs for picking before the White Sox so that we have to actually devote time on our podcast to the Cubs, but we do stay, please stay out of our way. At least be kind if we got to look at that logo. I mean, it, the Cubs to me make sense for Kyle Teal, but we'll see. That's not a bad. That's not a bad call there. I mean, what they're starting Jan Gomes right now. I don't think yeah. they have a ton of catchers in the system. They are pretty good at developing catchers historically. Um, you know, Wilson Contreras, obviously, uh, Victor Caratini and Miguel Amaya, both both solid big leaguers. So that is that is something that would fit the bill there for sure. Tommy Barbie hot on the Cubs this year, so he should know. <laughs> and he's from the future. So tell us how the Rickets meet their demise, Tommy, please. I was wrong. Matthew Shaw. Matt Shaw, the um the third baseman from Mar- or the second yeah. baseman from Maryland. Yeah. Where is he? Where are my notes on him? <laughs> So does nobody know anything? These, there seem to be a lot of um, funny in in in, uh, in well, what in the top 
13. So, I mean, he's considered a little bit of a safety pick, which, you know, not going to say attracts with the Cubs, but not, not, not a, not a huge Matt risk. looks like an umpire. I don't know what's going on with that. He's got an MLB logo hat. What's happening, Matt? What? <laughs> he's wearing a, he, he's not wearing a uh, Maryland hat. He's wearing a, MLB logo hat is is, is, the, is the Terrapins a naughty logo? What's going on? I guess so. I mean, that kind of it reminds me when the uh, back in 20, 2019 after the Astros lost the World Series to the uh, to the Nationals and they had Garrett Cole. The second that game ended, oh, yeah. Garrett Cole had that Astros hat off mm-hmm. and had that MLB hat on. He's a free agent, baby. So um, Shaw, another like you know, most of the uh, the mocks kind of had him had him as a, a safe pick. He's um you know, um, guys who are listed at second baseman coming out of the draft tend to be a little a little you know risky in the sense that uh, they don't often have a high ceiling on the defensive spectrum. You know, you can't move over to shortstop from second typically, but uh, you know, this seems like the Cubs, the Cubs also have a history with those kinds of guys taking Nico Horner a few years ago, trading for trading for Nick Madrigal, which uh, having they're having Nick Madrigal play third base on a regular basis is really something to watch. I got, I got to say, um, it's an experience. so it's, it, it's an experience. So, um, so, so you know, it, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just to say, Matt, I don't blame you. I wouldn't want to wear the hat either. <laughs> so it seems like, you know, the Sox are going to have their pick of their their relatively Whoever they want. high floor college guys, whether, yeah. you know, you're going you're gonna to get, if you want, you're going to get one of Waldrop or um, um, Johan de Morales, who, again, no one had him mocked higher than the White Sox at 15, which doesn't really make me feel great about that, uh, personally, mm-hmm. kind of a... Mm-hmm. You know, again, lower end of the positional spectrum there. And I would not, I, I keep coming back to Enrique Bradfield Jr., who has slid down the entire season, didn't quite have uh, as great a year for um, uh, for Vanderbilt as you want for, um, you know, a guy who's considered going top 10, only at 279. Um, but again, he's a plus-plus center fielder, a plus runner, pretty good plate discipline draws walks doesn't strike out a lot uh it's something a guy that could probably probably appeal to the white Sox, especially given the you know the makeup of of their roster now it fills a hole that they really they really desperately need so we'll see where the um um where the red Sox go here but uh either way i mean on the Sox could surprise us as always but um you know, I can't say I'm too too unhappy from our perspective as far as how things have, have uh, until you hear the pick. But yes, you hear the pick. I mean, that's what I was going to say is that they almost have a too many choices on on where <laughs> so, they could go in directions right now. So I I yeah. feel good about the options that are available because there's really anywhere they could go would be pretty decent. But it's also the White Sox, so. So is Ken Williams the guaranteed guy who's yelling the loudest right now in the draft room, or is there is there someone else having to over to talk over Han or, or somebody? I think they probably locked Han in the broom closet somewhere. So <laughs> I guess that will come down to what this pick is, because if it's if it's off the board, then we know oh yeah. he got out. Yeah, he got out, and he's the only one who had he got the, access the to a phone. It's just. Like... <laughs> special code to rob it's like don't pay attention to anyone else this is who we want Uh yeah scratch the pick 
put an MOB hat on the guy that you think we pick because uh-uh. Sorry, guys. I'm telling someone to fuck out of my mentions. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> this is why I'm happen. not a Twitter. That'll happen. You know, it's just a mild-mannered draft podcast. Um, yeah, and I mean, is it still the case with the with the standings? Uh, I don't know if Minnesota has actually climbed better than the uh, fifth place, which I think might still be the Red Sox fifth place team. But the idea that you can just cascade the uh, uh, the standings from Number, uh, first place team in the East to last place team in the Central, and they just fall in order is, well, it's 2023 MLB, American League. White Sox still have a chance. How far there back are go. we now? I mean, we're 16 below 500 16 when we below. eight back yeah. or something. Yeah. But there's still a chance. There's always a chance. All right, the Red Sox pick is in. Let's see who they go with. I mean, Barbie from the future. <laughs> I mean, I haven't caught up to I haven't caught up to Tommy, so I don't think any I don't think either of us are. Kyle Teal is off the board. Kyle Teal. Okay. The All right, board. White Sox are on the board. Full board. So White All Sox are on the Kyle. clock. Oh my God. All the pitching that they want. This is what we're here for, guys. This yeah, is what we're here for. So nerve-wracking because I'm the just expecting something that's going to make me cry. All right, Ta- Tommy, I'm going to request that you don't spoil this for us, so we can uh, we can all <laughs> that's fine. we can we, we can, can all we can, all, we can drop our drop our f bombs in unison. All embrace it together, uh, <laughs> exactly. Just exactly. you can take this time to tell us how the season ends, and and that'll get us up into you know. Uh, we all know how. <laughs> we don't need you from the future to know how that works out, Tommy. No, I, I am genuinely curious on just kind of what the rating cycle is with the White Sox right now between now and the end of July. Because I I don't get confidence from the fact that Juan still doesn't seem to have an idea beyond hoping that things will get better, which that's just like, he might as well not say anything at all. And not having a course of action with where they're going for even the trade deadline, let alone the draft. Gosh, the suspense is just too much. (laughs) I'm just going to riot my poker face for the next five minutes. (laughs) Goodness gracious. Yeah. Gosh, it would be so nice to have a Paul. I'm just going to look in your eyes, Tommy, and see and see if see when see the tiny the tear trickles <laughs> down the cheek. And it's, you know, of course it's the fact that the, I mean, we're, the Sox are probably going to end up picking, you know, top five next year. And, you know, with mm-hmm. the way this, this lottery, they even have, they love a solid chance of getting in the one and two slot. And of course it's one of the weakest draft classes mm-hmm. in years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Gosh, but I love her. I, I think that's okay. Cause then that hopefully guarantees the obviousness of that first pick. Well, that's all I, I, I want. Mm-hmm. That's fair, and and I, I have to wonder. I mean, you gotta you gotta you gotta get rid of this front office because you know mm-hmm. this is not not just because of how incompetent they are in general, but given the makeup of the roster right now, I don't think they'd be the least the least attractive landing spot for a solid executive. You know, 
Uh, you know, they've, they've got a pretty high baseline of major league talent. They just have no organizational depth. If you come in, you know, with a top five pick next year, you have, you know, a chance if you're, if you're an up and coming executive to, to kind of start making this, making, making things in your own image from, from the get go. So that's fair. And, and, and I, I almost wonder if I'm, I'm, I'm becoming increasingly convinced that, you know, the warmth of the seed under Han is going to, um, is going to break this kind of trend of, of, uh, of prep picks that we've seen the last couple of years. And um, I don't know, Waldrip or, or seems like too, it just seems like too obvious, too obvious. Of a choice for that. It's like, it's so right there for them that they can't, they're not. Yeah. I'm still looking for that tiny tear. <laughs> All right. I'll just say that he's at the podium. So we'll All see right. how this goes. We'll just see Tommy stand up and walk away. I'm not. I'm not looking. I'm not looking at you, Tommy. I'm watching. I'm watching Rob. I'm just smiling. <sighs> hmm. I don't fucking get it. Wow. They've got a. They've got a top thirty <laughs> short. They've got a top. Okay, thank you. <laughs> they've got a top thirty shortstop prospect who is nineteen years old right now. <laughs> that, that's why I just you've got you've camera, got Yoan, didn't know what to say. This you've is, got Yoan oh, Moncada locked up for another however many years. I know you don't have a second baseman right now, but like, yeah, this is your this is your number fifteen. This I mean, is the 15th pick. but this is why I was afraid of Rick Hahn potentially making decisions because this feels like an incredibly short sighted pick. And you know, I, and I don't, I don't have, I don't, I don't have a problem with him as a player necessarily. But if you're you're drafting a guy who's Unless they really any... think Colson Montgomery is going to line up at uh, is going to wind up at third base or second base or something like that, he's not but... incredibly toolsy. It's an okay if... pick, yeah. but I mean, I don't even know, if man. You think that that's the case. It's... I just I I think this is another draft pick where you are taking the safest route possible for the surefire future utility guy to be on the White Sox roster in the next year or two. Like that, that's all this reads to me. Yeah, and that's just, a, it's, it's another pick where it's like, instead of signing a guy in free agency that can actually just do the job, you're drafting to try to cover your bases for a potential utility guy that you don't have to spend $7 million on next year. This is not you know, a top of the food chain team. And no. this is this this is a top of the food chain type of pick where it's like, man, we're stocked. Okay. Hey, let's just pick the guy who, who showed yeah. best for us. This uh, no. This just reeks to me of the kind of pick where, yeah, maybe an okay, you know, second division regular, you're, you're a first division utility guy, but this reeks of the kind of pick where where you look back on it in two or three years and you look back at some of the players who are who are getting drafted four or five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten picks after them, and you're like, <sighs> he performed really well in the SEC. We know... We know they like guys who 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 play well in college, but we're dismissing the Tim Elko factor. 
So all you got to do is grow a mustache. It's true. I just don't know why. I don't know why you necessarily draft a guy like that here, unless you think mm-hmm. he might be able to get a little bit more power out of him. And the Sox are not a team that gets more power. This the Sox are a team that, like, apparently just two weeks ago figured out that trying to hit the ball in the air is a good thing. So, like, <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to be just like an instinctive negative because it's not the guys that we were looking for, but um. But and it's not—it's—it's not—it's not, it's not a Zach Birdie or a Zach Collins where you're like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. It's just an incredibly uninspired pick, yeah. and uninspired is not something that this franchise can afford to do right now. Yeah, you know? and this is the pick you make when everything's gone to form, right? And you know, okay, maybe maybe you're taking a slight risk on a on a guy, but it's not like a 10, 20 pick risk when guys have fallen to you out of the sky. And I understand that it's a deep draft, and for all we know, they might have somebody in mind for the later rounds where they do go over slot, where it's like, all right, we'll save money here and we'll do this later. That's fine. I don't think the White Sox are in the position to even have that type of negotiation get, because they need get fat at fifteen. You do, yeah. They, they need. There's all the pitching in the world available to them right now. Those are the guys <laughs> that are lined up that you should take, and not another. Shortstop that can't even, he, he, I don't even think he's got a stick at shortstop. So, I mean, okay, you have a second baseman, great. That it, it, there's nothing there. I just don't understand. Yeah, it's you don't, you don't draft for major league positional need, obviously, but, but you draft for. I where they fit in long term, and there's nothing about this pick that even makes sense from that standpoint. I mean, if you're going to draft a shortstop, usually you're drafting them because they're athletic enough to play multiple positions. If you're drafting somebody that you don't even think out of the gate can stick to shortstop, it's like, all right, you're getting yourself a second baseman because he doesn't have the power profile for third. So you're kind of stuck. Well, they didn't announce him as a first baseman, so I guess in theoretically, <laughs> he might play a couple games and shortstop. So you know, and you know, and 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 um, and John, I see, I see your point up there in the in the comments, and especially with the team like the White Sox, that is just incredibly frustrating to watch from a fundamental standpoint. They do. Um, pop the ball up a lot but the fact of the matter is also you can't hit home runs if you don't hit the ball in the air and the White Sox have a lot of guys who hit the ball really hard Andrew Vaughn Eloy Jimenez um you know Yoan Moncada put up pretty significant exit velocities they just beat the ball on the ground too much and when you Mm -hmm. have guys like that the way that you get them to actually get to their power is to put the ball in the air more. And I'll tell you, you know what a difference, you know, you, you want to know what the, what, what Luis Robert Jr.'s fly ball percentage was last year? It was 32.9%. You want to know what it is this year? It's 43.7%. You know, that's... Um, Some of the ball, yeah. ball, go, ball go far, team go far, and you can't make the ball go far without putting it in, in the air. And, you know, there's some guys, that doesn't mean it has to be a universal thing. If you're a guy like a Nick Madrigal or a Tim Anderson, where you have great back control and you can, yeah. you know, have a pretty good idea of, okay, I'm going to try to hit the ball. If I'm trying to hit the ball the other way and it's going to go the other way, or I'm going to try to go up the middle or, you know what, the shortstop is, is shading too much to the left. So I'm going to, I'm going to do this then. Yeah. You know, it's not, there's never a universal strategy. You don't make everybody try, try to put the ball in the air. But uh, the, the issue is that they can't get the guys who should be putting the ball in the air to, to put the ball in the air. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, 
I mean, you got and, so, you, and those guys with the ball on the ground have have the wheels to make that work for them too. Steal, grabbing the extra base, uh, beating a ball out that when you're uh, when you're just pounding into the ground. So, but it's not only just hitting it in the air. I mean, Andrew Vaughn, we, when we talked about him earlier, a perfect example is um, like David Ortiz, famously with the Twins, could not pull the ball to save his life did not have any you wouldn't know that he had all the power that he had because he was basically just taking the same gap power approach to every part of the field and it wasn't until he got to boston and worked out and they were like hey if you <laughs> took all of that mass You're and big. just pulled it <laughs> you would hit and, a shit ton of home runs uh, yeah <laughs> that's what it takes that's what that's what it takes and 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 like I said John I do I do really see your point in in there but you know the White Sox are 28th in fly ball percentage this year they were 26th last year in fly ball percentage in 2021 uh when their power actually was you know a little bit better they were still 29th you go back to 2020 however they're putting ball in the air at a pretty solid clip, which is when, you know, they actually were hitting for power at that point. Oh, you know what? Look. And John, when we get Frank Thomas, he can hit however he wants to hit. He can bunt. <laughs> we don't have Frank Thomas on this team. Yeah, Frank Thomas Frank Thomas hit the ball harder than just about anybody in Major Dick League Allen history. Dick Allen could that's eat a, the chili dog walking up to the plate. You don't tell him um, how he hits it high in the air or on the ground. We're not at that point. When we are... Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll we'll, but we'll put some finer points on it. Mm-hmm. But it's you know the the guys like you know Eloy Jimenez is the one that I come back to repeatedly. He runs some of the highest exit velocities in the game, and he hits the ball on the ground fifty percent of the time. And that's why you know you the number of times you see Eloy smoke the ball 107, 105, 106 miles an hour, and ope right at a guy in the infield. Ope ground ball double plagues. It's right there. And you know we have we have. Of course, you know someone like like Stony on on the broadcast saying, "Oh, you know what? That's a, that's a hang with him." But well, it's well. Why didn't they hire Kevin Long? Man, he was right there. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's uh, it's just not super encouraging to see them continue to, uh, you know, play it safe like that. And I don't, it's not. It's even more baffling when you think about the fact that, you know, two of the, um, you know, Colson Montgomery and it seems like Noah Schultz potentially are yeah. two shaping up to be two of their better high draft picks in recent memory. And, and, and those were risky picks. Those were guys yeah. like, I don't know if they can develop. I don't know if the Sox have the PD and, and they don't, they don't have the player development, but the yeah. only way, you know, the Sox don't pay for superstars. They don't trade for superstars. They don't sign them to big contracts. If you want, you know, to really develop everything internally, like they seem to want to, you know, the sustainable pipeline of talent, you have to take big swings. And uh, they just seem to continue. They just seem to continuously err on the side of caution in situations where they can't, you know, what would it have been, would it have been riskier for, um, to, to put Garrett Crochet in a minor league rotation and run the risk of him not doing anything and not even being a major leaguer at that point? Yes, as opposed to being a big league ready, ready reliever yet. But that doesn't, that doesn't help the team put over the top when you're, when you're spending money on Andrew Benintendi instead of Bryce Harper. So it's, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold my judgment on Wilson specifically because he might still be a very good player. But... Um, it's 
It's not inspiring. The Orioles pick up Enrique Bradfield Jr. I just wanted to right throw that him. out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that to me is like going to be one of those draft pictures a few years oh, from now great. that snap, we're yeah, all going to be kind of looking at and being like, how did he fall to yeah. 17? What did the yeah, White Sox draft and send a mic yeah. out? <laughs> That's 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 what I'm saying. I mean, and look, you you that's what happens when you when you take the safe picks though. Is you're going to I I don't know. I and I can see it going both ways because they did make those risky picks with um you know, guys like Jared Mitchell, guys like Courtney Hawkins. Um they 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 tried it and it didn't work. But the other stuff's not really working either. But they I mean, had a clear like, philosophy then too. Like, I mean, it, it's weird to say this because that backfired badly as it did, but the White Sox were fairly ahead of the curve in terms of drafting raw athletic baseball players that early on. Like that's what a lot of teams started started doing now. The difference is that they're much better at the player development side and would never put the prospects through the paces the same way that the White Sox tried to in changing their swing and changing their approach so drastically to try to make them into something different i mean that's why you know even when tim anderson came up they had like a four other fringe shortstops at the same time that all were kind of in that same raw toolsy category and it was just like all right one of these guys has to stick now you know should they pick simeon instead maybe but that's a whole nother story that's where really where i think the white Sox have had at least the right approach where it's like, this is who we are. This is what we want to draft. When you pick guys like this, it feels like you said, uninspired. It just doesn't make any sense because it doesn't lead to anything contextually that makes sense. You're two years from having taken a gamble with Colson Montgomery, something they don't do with this middle infielder type, a high school bat. And they, claim, I mean, I always say this afterwards, that they would have, if Colson wasn't there, the Cath would have been their first round. Pick. Right. So they definitely zagged there. With Montgomery, could it possibly have paid off to date better than it did? And yet we're already back to receding to changing that up. Not that you're going to draft a high school shortstop every year, but the idea that, that they, now they've taken the risk for the decade. And now that we're going to pull back and then we're going to, I mean, it doesn't mean the draft is a mess. It doesn't mean that the draft isn't going to still turn out to be good or that they've got some sort of scheming going on where somehow they're going to put money that was going to go at 15 and trickle it down the draft. Sure. I still have hope that uh, Shirley's going to pull this out, but this is a tough, this is definitely a tough start. And, and more so it's uh, uninspiring from a philosophical standpoint yeah. because, you know, we're already off of having taken Rick's again, you can even argue that the Noah Schultz, you know, of course, totally different, you know, position, but that 13 innings in you're paying off to whatever degree it certainly hasn't blown up yet. And now we're already off of that. So now we've got to, we've got to recede and we've got to be conservative now for how many drafts. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just that it's the type of pick that a consistently competitive team can afford to make and exactly. totally be okay if it doesn't pan out or if it turns into a utility player. But it's, you know, there's a, a couple things is that if you're going to, if you're going to draft a guy who might not even stick in shortstop, you don't want him to be a guy who might top out at 2025 home run power. Um, and that's exactly it. Yeah. And the White Sox aren't an org- organization again, developmentally, that's going to help a guy really get to that power. You know, he, you know, the, the, good contact ability, good control of the strike zone can 
can play the infield. You're talking about a high probability major leaguer, but this team has a lot of high probability major leaguers, you know, has drafted a lot of high probability major leaguers in recent years that aren't good major leaguers. There's a big difference. Yeah. For those of you who felt that the White Sox needed more shortstops, the one position of strength in the organization, you're very happy right now. The rest of us wonder how you fill in some of the other gaps, because after all, there's only 19 more picks, and I'm not sure exactly how many plums you're going to pull from the undrafted free agent pool. Uh, So initially, this certainly doesn't seem to be uh, a super inspiring pick. Uh, we'll see later on tonight and on uh, Southside Sox. We'll have a uh, profile, of course, both of our first round and second round picks and full draft coverage in real time is going to be uh, coming up. We're going to roll out the picks as they come. Got a team of writers uh, hitting, including our very own Tommy Barbie's decided to volunteer for the gauntlet. Uh, good for you, Tommy. Uh, you'll talk differently with me next year. Uh, but uh, we will probably um, pass uh, as of right now. Uh, depending on what the response is. So this will probably pass on tomorrow's podcast, but definitely on Tuesday night, we'll have some sort of draft wrap-up thing that we'll probably again do live, and we'll be able to assess the uh, entire draft, uh, 1 to 20, and hopefully we are a little happier about it than we are at the moment. It does seem like universally three votes, and those three votes seem to be a thumbs down. I did not see the tiny tear from Tommy. Tommy faked us out because he was smiling, big, big smile, and he just sucker punched us out. It was so ridiculous. I couldn't smile. (laughs) Yeah, you smile, so there's not to cry. Uh, Okay, yeah, that's the 2023 White Sox in a nutshell. So who we getting with that Lucas Giolito comp pick next year? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) what are we going to do with that? You know what what I'm going to say? I'm going to just take a wild guess, Maliki. Shortstop. That's what I'm going to say. Hopefully one that stays at shortstop. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I just think shortstop. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I think we will uh, we'll wrap up our our live program here. Thanks, of course, for uh, carrying a very heavy load, uh, Maliki, with the, uh, with the scores of notes you had. Uh, Tommy filling in uh, with, again, speaking from the future and also some great information. Me, not sure what I did, but I'll be back again for more uh, coming up probably in a couple days. Uh, we might be on tomorrow, but if you tune in and there's nothing, like there was at uh, a quarter to the hour today, uh, you know, don't get mad. Don't say I didn't warn you, uh, but definitely a Tuesday night we'll have something somewhat same time, same bat channel, all that stuff. And maybe we'll have a bigger group to discuss and, you know, Tommy will psych us out again. He, I believe Tommy will be our correspondent from the 2024 draft. So he'll be giving us the draft there you from go. 2024 while the rest of us are uh, disgruntled about 2023. Uh, but in, uh, until then, we'll see you, I guess, in a couple days. Uh, stick on Southside Sox for uh, coverage of every pick of the draft. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be yakking at you in a couple days and having all 20 picks roll out to you over these next, uh, next few days. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Maliki, for Hanging in with us, uh, Tommy as well, representing Milwaukee. What a wonderful city, the beautiful city. Uh, I'm Brett Ballantini. I have some function here as well. We are going to end our broadcast day for now. We'll catch you probably in a couple days. Thanks, everybody. Peace out, y'all.